baby. Hello and welcome to another very special episode of Tokyo Daily. I'm your host, Lockie, and I know it's been a while between drinks, but Harper's been holding the fort down absolutely swimmingly. And uh, but I'm here to uh, give it another crack on the old microphone. And speaking of swimming, I think that might be a nice little segue because t- tell you what, I'm feeling that patriotic today. Today was one of the absolute best in Aussie history, and that's not just my opinion. Although my <laughs> not that my opinion means much, although I, I probably value it a bit too highly. But that is fact. Australia had an absolutely cracking day with four gold medals, and I'm sure we'll get get to it uh get to it shortly so first up in the final day of swimming i mean emma McEwen, take a bow take a bow gee whiz what an absolute superstar uh, she first won gold today in the 50 meter freestyle in an olympic record time but you know that wasn't enough for our girl was it no i think you know she just wanted to uh take the p1 double five so she she then jumped back into the pool and helped the girls win the, the four times 100 metre medley, setting an Olympic record with Kate Campbell simply awesome as the anchor in that race. Uh, she went last and came home strong to help clinch the gold for the team, which was absolutely superb. McEwen, who has now got seven medals at Tokyo, that's right. <laughs> I do make a few mispronunciations, but that wasn't one of them. Seven medals at Tokyo and also goes with a nice little collection of four in Rio, adds up to 11, quick maths. And she's now become Australia's most decorated Olympian ahead of Ian Thorpe and Liesl Jones. So well done, Emma, and well done to the girls because that was just an, got the Australians on off to an absolute cracking start. And now another absolute legend of Australia. I don't know why I said a legend, but you know what? That sometimes gets thrown around a bit much. But my man, Logan Martin, is not that has uh, definitely, sorry, worthy of the title. He's the first ever gold medalist in the freestyle BMX event. And uh, yes, it was it was a bloody awesome, awesome event. He uh, he won it in his first run. So in his second run, he sort of mucked around a bit, did a couple of tricks and just enjoyed the, uh, the standing ovation that he got. And he actually built his own BMX park in his backyard. So we'll attach the photos when we post it, but it is absolutely unbelievable. And it cost him about 80K, but I, don't, I think the other uh, cost of the uh, gold medal that he's got now around his neck is priceless. And in in the sailing, Matt Warren uh, won the men's laser sailing event, and that's now the third consecutive Aussie to win this event, which is absolutely superb, having uh, other sailors winning it in, in 2012 and 2016. So it's great to keep that up and cap off the day with four gold medals, which is absolutely unbelievable. Now going to the athletics. So Peter Bowl has made the 800 meter final. He won his semi as the second fastest qualifier and is a great gold medal chance. He's actually the first Aussie to make the 100 meter finals since 1968. So it's been a while between drinks, just like me hosting, but we'll be uh, cheering him on in the final. And in the hockey, the uh, the Kookaburras uh, have progressed to the semis, beating ne- beating Netherlands in a penalty shootout three nil. The scores at the end of regulation uh, was a drawn match at 2-2. In the water polo, the Stingers, the uh, uh, the girls, they uh, they won and they're through to the uh, quarterfinal against the Russian Olympic Committee team. That name just rolls off the tongue nicely, having beaten South Africa 14-1 in their final group game. And of course, Brooke Stratton, illustrious where do we begin alumni has qualified for the long jumping final with a jump of 6.6 meters and this is her second olympic final and we're absolutely willing her on for gold 
Now, I think Harper might be uh, giving giving us a little bit of his thoughts on the game, so I'll swing to my man. Thanks so much for that, Lockins. Thanks so much for that review as well, mate. That was very good. It's good to kind of catch up on all the action from yesterday. Uh, now that yesterday I took a bit of, <laughs> took a bit of a day off because, yeah, uh, watching, kind of consuming every little bit of Olympic info gets a bit tiring. So it was good to get a nice little summary of it. And as Lockie told all you guys, I'm going to give you uh, kind of not not my take so much, but a little fact file on the Olympics. A couple of interesting stories that have caught my eye over the past couple of weeks because I noticed the Australian media and all the media in all the different countries, they rightly so, they tend to focus on their own countries, the big stories, the big headlines, maybe a bit of big news from the US or the host nation, Japan, or the big, big headlines. But I've got a couple of smaller headlines from some smaller countries, but I think these should be bigger headlines because these are a couple of remarkable stories that I do not think get uh, their just desserts and their credit that they deserve in the kind of media coverage of the whole Olympics. So I'm going to kick us off with a little story about the tiny microstate of San Marino. So they're a country of just 34,000. They're Europe's least visited country. So before this year, they competed in 14 Summer Olympics, 10 Winter Olympics, and combined, they'd won a grand total of zero medals. And really, it's not really surprising. It's They're five and a half times smaller than Ballarat. And how many Olympic medals are Ballarat going to win? Not too many. They've, they've probably had an Olympian here or there from Ballarat, maybe won a couple of medals. But yeah, it's, it's, it's tricky when you're a country that size. So this year, though, I sent five athletes to Tokyo, one of the smallest teams out there. So they've got Miles Amine is starting his wrestling campaign on Thursday. He hasn't started yet. Ariana Valoni, she got knocked out in the freestyle heats in the swimming. Paolo Pasolia, uh, he was knocked out in his first judo bout. But a couple others... They did something that I think is pretty newsworthy and something that I think is pretty spectacular. So last Wednesday, Alessandra Perilli, she came second to qualify for the women's trap final in the shooting. So she's got a bit of history in the shooting. Nine years ago in London, in the London Olympics, Perilli, she finished equal second with two others. But because, of course, there's only space for three medalists, uh, there was a tiebreaker shootout. She missed first and she was knocked out. She didn't get a spot on the podium and San Marino had to continue its wait for a maiden medal. Um, 2015, though, she was a World Cup winner in her event. Next year, in 2016, went to the Olympics again but was knocked out in the qualification round in Rio. And her sister, Ariana, actually competed at that same event but also got knocked out in qualification and the wait went on for San Marino. On Thursday, though, in Tokyo... She had another chance to make some history and make history she did. So in the six-person final, she finished ahead of a couple of Aussies and she claimed third place, a bronze medal, and crucially, San Marino's first ever Olympic medal. And pictures of her on the podium, she looks the happiest of all of them, even though she's like technically finished the lowest of them all, winning bronze, she's tears of joy overcome with happiness about it. It's really hard not to love that kind of thing. And just two days later, she went one better. So with the help of Gianmarco Berti in the Mixed Trap event, they earned themselves uh, just a handy little silver medal, a couple uh, silver medal each after hitting just one fewer target than gold winning Spain in the gold medal match. So they came very close to winning gold, but silver couple medals for San Marino this Olympics, a couple more than they've ever had. They, they had previously, just a couple weeks ago. It's not bad. So 
a couple of legends. Hey, what a couple of legends those two are. And speaking of legends, let me tell you about a woman called Oksana Tsusovertina. I guarantee you this is a cracking story. So listen to this one. She was born in 1975 in Bukhara, which was then in the Soviet Union. She stands at the moment at 1.53 meters tall. So I'm going to give you five seconds to guess what sport she's in. Five, four, three, two, one. For all those who guessed basketball, you are absolutely incorrect. She competes in gymnastics. So she started pretty old. She started at seven, pretty old for a gymnast, especially in modern times. She wasn't competing in modern times at seven years old, but just six years after that, after starting, she won the junior all-around title at the USSR National Championship. She was smashing it for the Soviet Union the years after that. But because the Soviet Union broke up in 1991, the year later, in her first Olympics at Barcelona in 92, she competed with the unified team. Uh, a bit of an ROC type name, uh, but she won the team all around in a gold medal in that that year at that Olympics. But after that, she started competing for Uzbekistan because that's where Bukhara now is. That's where it's been since the breakup of the Soviet Union. She kept on performing admirably on the world stage, but the training conditions in Uzbekistan in Tashkent are pretty dodgy, pretty unsafe compared to the pretty luxurious conditions in the Soviet Union. They they had pretty good funding, but Uzbekistan, not so much. In a bit of a heartbreaking one that flipped her life upside down in 2002. Her son, Alisha, she, he was diagnosed with leukemia. So to seek the best treatment they possibly could, the world-class treatment that they provide in Germany, they moved to Germany. So uh, she, she went to Athens 2004, Chusevatina, uh, for Uzbekistan, because she couldn't compete for Germany until 2006, and she gained citizenship in 2006. And as soon as she started competing for Germany, in the vault at the World Championships in 2006, she won bronze, which, not too bad at all from old Chusevatina. And she kept on winning titles. And at 33 in Beijing 2008, she was the oldest athlete in the vault discipline. She said she wasn't going to continue after the 2009 World Championships, but you know what? In fact, she continued on. She represented Germany at London 2012, her sixth Olympics that year, and incredibly, she finished fifth, which is amazing. 37 years old, finishing fifth, sorry, when you've got teenagers who are dominating that sport. It's, It's incredible. And she announced her retirement after that, in London 2012. She wants to concentrate on coaching. Fair enough. She, she's getting on. But you, you, might, you might be asking, why am, I, why am I talking about some random old gymnast who retired nine years ago? The reason I'm talking about her is because she's still, still going strong, old Oksana Chusevatina. She's at this Olympics. This She's at the Olympics right now. She's in Tokyo right now. She's not retired. She came back to compete for her home country, Uzbekistan, in 2016. And this year, just a couple of weeks ago, she was the opening ceremony flag bearer, one of them, for Uzbekistan in Tokyo. It's her eighth Olympic Games in Tokyo. How old is she? She's 46. And (laughs) to put this in perspective for people my age, her son is four years older than me, and she's competing in the gymnastics, in the vault, a sport dominated by people, teenagers and 20-year-olds, really. And this time around, she she got knocked out in the qualification stage of the vault in the Olympics. But 
considering she's the same age as the gold medalist and the silver medalist combined, I reckon even making Olympics at all for old Oksana Chusofetina, it's, it's not too bad. It's not too bad. In fact, I reckon it's pretty phenomenal. That Those are my, sorry, those are my couple stories from the Olympics that you probably haven't heard about so far and kind of warms my heart. Great stories coming out of the Olympics. Lockie, back to you. Thanks for that, half. So I really enjoyed that, I'm sure, and I'm sure that our listeners will too. Just quickly before I preview today's events, I'll just go through the medal tally quickly. So China is currently on top with 54 medals, 24 of which are gold, and they're closely followed by America. However, the, the beautiful, beautiful nation of Australia, the green and gold, is currently sitting in fourth with 14 gold medals, and we are well on track to meet our goal of being top five so that is absolutely phenomenal and now I'll just jump into some of the previews and first off I'd love to start with some of our where do we begin alumni so you can catch my man Sergey in the shooting in this stage two of his event at 9.30 tomorrow I know uh, I'll be getting up bright and early for that one and yes 9.30 is bright and early for me don't judge me and then secondly, so Rachel Lynch, so the uh, the goalkeeper for the Australian women's hockey team, so that, um, they're playing off in their quarterfinal later today against India. Now, it's been an absolutely awesome start to the uh, the games for the girls. So they so heading in, so they're obviously in a bit of terminal turmoil, but they're currently favourites for the gold, having gone five nil in the uh, pool stage. So it's a great start, and hopefully they can keep that form going to uh, the finals. We've also said the Matildas are also playing. So they're playing Sweden in their semi-final clash. Uh, they're playing at 9 o'clock, 9 p.m. And they're coming off and I don't think anybody that uh, saw the game against Bre- uh, Great Britain would, it took their breath away. I know it certainly did for me. And Sam Kerr was simply phenomenal. I mean, head- heading into extra time uh, to all, uh, Australia quickly uh, got a, a couple of two quick goals to go to 4-2 and secure themselves a game in the semi-final. However, Sam Kerr, the captain, is under an injury cloud and hopefully by the, uh, by the time that everybody listens to this, we'll know if she's playing as she is absolutely vital uh, to the Australian team. Uh, it's also going to be the canoe sprint, so the men's kayak. Uh, there's a couple of Aussies floating around in that. They're on at 10 a.m. tomorrow. And in the basketball, it's an absolutely massive clash for the Opal. So they're playing Puerto Rico at 10, uh, 10 p.m. And they must win to make the quarterfinals, having lost to China and Belgium in that other group game. So fingers crossed the girls can uh, get that win and as they're one of the best teams in it. So, and as everybody knows, if you make the finals, you're always a chance. Finally, we have the athletics. So you can catch Georgia Griffith. Jess Hull and Lyndon Hall, uh, who are competing in the 1,500-metre heats from 10.35 a.m. tomorrow. Uh, the Australian men's water polo team are coming up against Kazakhstan in their final group match at 8.50. So I know Harper, the uh, the number one ticket holder for the Australian water polo team, will be uh, will be tuning in to that one, and I will be as well. I absolutely, I'm loving water polo. It's been one of the best sports to watch at the Olympics, in my very humble opinion. And finally, we've also got the table tennis. So the uh, men's team round of 16 is tomorrow. So Australia take on Japan at 11 a.m. And I've, I should really enjoy watching table tennis. You know, it's a great pastime and it's awesome uh, seeing it as an Olympic sport at the top level. So that's all for, for me. Thanks so much for tuning in. And Harps will be back tomorrow for another great episode of Tokyo Daily.